Welcome to a Tuesday edition of Locked On NBA. On today's show, we'll recap Golden State's win over the Houston Rockets, then check in on some coaching searches in Milwaukee and in Toronto. Then we'll talk about which team has the most at stake in tonight's NBA draft lottery before previewing Game 2 between the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Boston Celtics. It's Locked On NBA. Thank you so much for listening and for subscribing. Now let's get to the show. Are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, let's do this. Welcome to Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. My name is Wes Goldberg, and I'm a credentialed writer covering the NBA for the Step Back. You can find me on Twitter at WC Goldberg. And I'm David Romero, credentialed NBA writer who's covered the league at large for SB Nation and Fansided. You can follow me and my writing on Twitter at DRomel13. On today's show, we'll talk about possible landing spots for Mike Budenholzer, possible landing spots for Dennis Schroeder, who needs to win the NBA draft lottery the most and look ahead to game two of Cavs Celtics. But let's start with last night's game between the Rockets and Warriors. Despite James Harden's 41 points on 24 shots, the Warriors stole home court advantage after pulling away in the second half. Kevin Durant finished with 37 points on 27 shots and Klay Thompson made six of his three pointers as the Warriors took game one, 119 to 106. David, what was your takeaway from the game? I think... Not surprisingly, it looked like Golden State was a far better team. But more importantly to me, it just looked like they finally recognized the importance of the situation. That This has been a team all year long that has really struggled to find any kind of consistency and, and need to care because they realized nothing really mattered except for winning a championship. This isn't a team trying to fight history or win more games than any other team uh, in NBA history. This is about trying to look as good as possible as you get into the playoffs in the playoffs, and again, as to compete for a championship. So recognizing that the Houston Rockets were probably their most dangerous competition that they'll face, I think they understood the, the gravity of the situation, made the most of it, and really looked absolutely dominant. Like I, They went through their first quarter kind of readjustment period there where they're kind of trying to figure out what Houston has to offer, took the punch, rolled with it, and then all of a sudden just turned it on to another level where Houston just didn't seem to have an answer on a way to stop, uh, you know, Golden State's top scores. Uh, yeah. I mean, Kevin Durant was um, phenomenal. I mean, there he was making contested jumpers. Um, Clay Thompson, just being able to be that catch-and-shoot outlet on a night where Steph Curry wasn't necessarily going um, really well. For me, you know, the, the, the score was tied at halftime. And and the Warriors came out in the third quarter, outscored the Rockets uh, thirty-one to twenty-four mm-hmm. in that third quarter. And and uh, Baxter Holmes, ESPN, wrote this piece for ESPN the magazine. I think last week about just the idea of the Warriors having a turbo button and how they just they're the masters of like those ten-zero runs that just happen overnight right. or not overnight in in a, in a blink of an eye. Um, and they didn't. Necessarily, I don't think they went on a 10-0 run in that third quarter against Houston. So they they sort of just tapped the turbo button, which it, it seemed to me. You know what I mean? I think they went. There there was a series there where where um, you know Curry gets a three pointer and then has that and then gets that 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 weird steal out of bounds thing and and all of a sudden it's like a 5-0 run before you know it and where it was supposed to be maybe like. You know, uh, you know the Warriors score three points and the Rockets score two points at the other end because uh, James Harden missed a layup on one end and then boom, the Warriors get out in transition and they're attacking you and that's why the Warriors are so dangerous. And it just seemed to me that they had a couple of those in the third quarter and then at the start of the fourth quarter and that really just did the Rockets in. And Houston, you know, for all of 
what James Harden can do on a one-on-one basis, what all, everything that Chris Paul can do in, in in isolation situations, it they need those other guys to step up. And on a night where Trevor Ariza, P.J. Tucker, and Luke Mbaamute combined to go one of nine from the field, you're, it's going to be really hard for the Rockets to win those games because th- those are kind of the guys that space the floor for Harden and Chris Paul, right? Those are the guys that can kind of... You know, just like the Warriors can have runs because of Clay and Steph and, and KD, the Rockets can also do runs, but it's it's usually it's not only because of Harden and, and Chris Paul, it's because those guys are driving and kicking and those guys are Riza Tucker and Mbamute are hitting shots from the perimeter and they just weren't. And and you know, if you're Houston, you finish with the best record in the league, take home court advantage, the number one seed in the Western Conference, and you lose it in game one. And usually your role players like those guys are supposed to step up at home, and that just wasn't the case in Game 1. Now Golden State owns home court advantage in this series. If the Rockets are going to win this and go to the finals, they now have to win a game in Oakland, and, and that's going to be really difficult. It's tough to say, but I think that I, you know it looks like Houston with two all-star players in Paul and James Harden and a potential all-star player in Clint Capella, not to mention a number of role players, they just don't have enough to top what Golden State can do. I mean, the fact that those top players on their on their Warriors roster. I mean, you look at Klay Thompson, the third best option offensively in that team, and he's still a guy that can go for fifty on any given night because he's such a top you know shooter. Um, he finished with twenty eight. Uh, he outscored yeah. Steph Curry, uh, Kevin Durant, obviously leading the team with thirty seven points. It looked effortless from him. Uh, you know, every time they got a switch going, he would just be able to rise up over Chris Paul or anybody, or even PJ Tucker, because he has such an incredible height advantage. A lot of those shots coming from the mid range where you wouldn't expect him to, but he just backed down an opponent, got that switch turned around, just made it look too easy. Uh, but for Houston, they had to work for everything. They milked that clock. They got to the free throw line as much as they possibly could. And it just still wasn't enough, like you said, without those role players complimenting the, the big duo there in Capella, who seemed like he had a really quiet night overall. Six of seven for 12 points, a fine outing, yeah. but not his most impactful. We expected I didn't think that the him. Rockets... I, I thought that the Rockets got away from him too much. Like They put him on the floor there in the second half, and they there was a, there was a period of, like I think, six minutes in the second half where they they didn't even throw the ball to Capella right. and and I wonder if I don't know what the point of having him out there if, is if you're not going to lob it up to him and take advantage of his size you know and that mm-hmm. vertical spacing that he provides the Rockets interestingly enough uh, experimented with a lot of different bigs in that game yeah. they played Clint Capella 30 minutes uh, Ryan Anderson got some run for five minutes they played Nene for six minutes um, you know I thought there was a, quite a bit of experimenting more so in the first half between both teams Golden State play, you know they used they started the Hamptons five in this game, but they brought in uh, two bigs off the bench, Kevon Looney and David West, and played them for a little bit in the first half. So I think there was a little bit of feeling each other out in that first half. And like I said, it ended up being tied going into halftime. Right. And then it seemed like the Warriors figured it out. Houston, you're right. I, I think they need to figure out a way to get Capella more involved and make him more of a dominant presence. Because if he's not, I don't think Houston's got any chance. You know, yeah. if, if Capella and Ariza and Tucker and Bamute are not contributing at a high level, they've got no chance. That combination of like Draymond Green, Durant, and, and even Kevin Looney for for some you know minutes mm-hmm. there, they really just I, I don't know if it, the, the, none of them have the sheer size to match up with Capella, but their versatility I guess it just made things uncomfortable for him, or maybe it was just a failing of of Harden and Paul that they sent, they wanted to just go more ISO heavy, not necessarily rely on the pick and roll as much as they have during the regular season, but. Uh, I'm not sure that they have a chance of coming back if they if they fall into the same pattern that we've seen too many times. And there was talk there also about 
James Harden looking a little fatigued because he was trying too much. Maybe that's the case. I think we'll talk about that a little bit later. Though. Yeah. Well, let's let's do a quick game of true or false. All right. To wrap this this game one up. Um, true or false, David? The Rockets still have a chance in this series. <sighs> I am not going to say. Yes, I think actually they do have a chance. I just don't think it's a very good one. I think mathematically they do. But Golden State just seems so much better when they're fully engaged and, and aware of the moment like I talked about before. Maybe it's a, you know too weak of an answer, but the reality is that I think Golden State's a far better team. And, and Houston is capable of coming back and, and, and having a strong outing. It just doesn't seem very likely either, though. I was a little bit higher on Houston's performance than most, I think. Um, You know, I think a lot of people... Like James Harden, if he's going to go out and score 41 points, it's a shame that you waste a night like that where he's he's scoring 41 points on 24 shots. I mean, just ultra-efficient. You basically wasted that night. But he's capable of doing that again. And, you know, I think... I look at Chris Paul. Yeah, he had 23 points, but not the most efficient night. Really started getting to go in the second half, not so much in the first half. If they can get more contributions from Chris Paul, if they can get more, con- if if any like Trevor Reza picked up his fifth foul in the third quarter and that really hurt, really hurt Houston. I thought um, if you can get more out of Ariza, Tucker, and Mbamute, maybe tighten up that rotation. You know, don't waste five minutes with Ryan Anderson on the floor. Don't waste six minutes with Nene on the floor, and and tighten that thing up. You know, um, Gerald Green had to play seventeen minutes because Ariza was in foul trouble. So I think if you if it's unfortunate because of certain they were doing a little bit of experimenting and there was some foul trouble that led Houston to having to play not their best guys for for a lot of time in this game. I don't know if that's going to be the case going forward. I actually I I give Houston a little bit maybe more of a chance uh, than most people do, but they've got to get something from those other guys because James Harden's been here before and it's not been enough and he needs help from those other guys. Um, true or false? The Rockets are a player away from challenging the Warriors. Personally, I'm looking forward to the Eric Gordon era in Cleveland because it seems like he's probably a big part of what it will take to lure LeBron James there over the summer. Uh, I think it's a a great opportunity for both the Rockets to unseat Golden State and for LeBron to go out into the sunset at the end of his career competing for a championship and a new team. So I think, yes, they're absolutely in need of a player. Like what you were talking about earlier, if it's not one of their current role players, they need somebody, a potential superstar, to come in there and help cement that team even further. It's the way the league just works nowadays. With a team like Golden State playing as efficiently and effectively as they do, you can't make the you can make the argument that maybe Green and, and Thompson might not be all stars on other teams, but that's not the case because they play on, on uh, Golden State's roster. Steve Kerr, the rest of that offense, the way they work together as a unit, they're just unstoppable. To be honest with you, it would be the closest thing to Durant joining the Warriors, right? Because Durant joined a ready-made team in Golden State. LeBron's never done that. He's never joined a ready-made team. The closest thing he did that was to Miami, but that team was completely new right yeah, yeah. i mean he had th- two all-stars with him but you know he and then he went to cleveland which had a, a bunch of losing seasons in a row four losing seasons in a row and he joined that team with a young Kyrie, got kevin love this would be the first time in his career where he joined an already good like championship level roster and right. that would be the closest thing again to what durant did in his move and we've seen how how well it's worked out for kd so look maybe i, I don't know if the rockets are a player away i still think that they are constructed in a way that that they are constructed to beat the Warriors. And I don't know what LeBron and Houston would look like. It would be three isolation-heavy players together. It would be insane. But if they had LeBron, I mean, holy crap, that would be a fun fun, uh, couple years of uh, 
Western Conference Finals Series. Uh, the NBA Draft Lottery is tonight. We'll talk about who needs the number one pick the most. Cleveland is involved. We'll talk about that next. But first, quick reminder to make sure that you're subscribed to Locked On NBA to get the podcast every day. Think of it as your bite-sized briefing for the most important stories around the league, and keep it here for daily updates on everything going on in the conference finals and for those teams in the offseason. So subscribe to Locked On NBA on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app, the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, every day. The Cavs will try to bounce back after a bad game one loss in Boston. We'll talk about that later on, but first let's check in on a couple of teams that were knocked out of the Eastern Conference playoffs, the Raptors and Bucks. Each enter this offseason in search of a new head coach, and according to several reports, both teams are interested in Mike Budenholzer for the gig. David, if you're Budenholzer, which job is more appealing to you, the Raptors or the Bucks? If I'm Budenholzer, I look at the Milwaukee Bucks as a better opportunity. Just a chance to align myself uh, with a, a, a Giannis Antetokounmpo at that point in time where there's still another level for him to reach as far as his overall consistency and impact on the game. Like He's already such a great all-star level player, but the chance to be able to tie my career to him kind of sort of to what Greg Popovich was able to do with Tim Duncan in San Antonio. That's just the, the beginnings of something great, a, a potential dynasty in the making. Like Obviously, there's a need to make some adjustments to that roster, but at the same time, I feel like if you want to have a good career, you better be you better have that superstar player there on your roster to help you 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 know reach the fullest potential you possibly can. Having said that, I think Bud looks to Toronto, a team that's probably a little closer to getting over that hump because they're they've already got a couple of all-stars on there. They've been together longer, and I think they're probably a better team than Milwaukee, not just because of what their record says, because of the overall talent and youth on that roster. So I think he's probably finds Toronto mm. more appealing. What do you think? Well, I understand. You know, the Raptors were at the fin- they they had one of the best records in the league this last year. They're kind of you know they've got a strong defense already in place. You can kind of if you're Budenholzer build on what Dwayne Casey was able to build there, right. and you know there's there's an easy easy path to contending right away right. in Toronto. But that said. I'm with you. If I'm Mike Budenholzer, I'm going to Milwaukee. Not not only because they got Giannis, but that's also, that's obviously a major factor there. But because they're not locked into that roster, I think that there's there's a little bit more flexibility there. And if you look at if you look at Toronto's roster, yeah, it's good, but it's got an obvious ceiling. And if you're Mike Budenholzer, do we know that Toronto's not a year or two away from rebuilding, and and now he's in that same situation right. he was with he was in in Atlanta? So if I'm if I'm if I'm Budenholzer, I want to go to that Milwaukee job because they've got Giannis, they've got a little bit more roster flexibility, not a ton, but these they've got some decisions to make this summer and next summer. But if they can get off a couple of those contracts, decide what they need to do with Jabari Parker, they've got a lot of young prospects on that on that roster that maybe you can wheel and deal and maybe bring another uh, piece in. Yeah, I think the Bucks are the better option there, also because there's a. Dwayne Casey was is possibly coach of the year. He was a good coach. It was just the it was the only move Toronto could make right now to to shake anything up. There's a bigger there's a bigger gap right between you know Joe Prunty being an interim coach in Milwaukee and Jason Kidd from the first half of the year to Mike Budenholzer right. So you can also look at if you're if you're Mike you can look at that situation and say there's a bigger leap to be made there in Milwaukee because. Right. If I had I been coaching, we'd probably take out the Boston Celtics in, in round one. Yeah, you know, you can make he a might be a fifty plus win team also. Yeah, so 
Um, now, Milwaukee let's... ownership is apparently sweetening the deal yeah. and trying to see if they could throw in some ownership stake there, I guess, for Budenholzer as well, so that he would... I, I'm not sure how that would work, but apparently that's something that, that might be enough to lure him onto the team. Yeah, apparently they don't have... The, they, they you know, being in Milwaukee, they probably don't have as much money to throw at him as maybe Toronto does, but mm-hmm. some stock? Yeah, yeah. not bad. Um, Dennis Schroeder making some headlines uh, today on Tuesday, possibly looking to be traded out of Atlanta... Do you for, let, let's talk about Dennis Schroeder a little bit here? What is his value? Because he scored almost twenty points per game for the Hawks last season, but it was on they're on a bad team. He was kind of the only guy taking shots there. Um, is he? Does he have value? Is he a starting point guard for an above average a playoff team in the NBA? Well, the problem is he's also under contract. He's he's made some <laughs> statements to a you know a German press corps there about looking to be traded to either Indiana or Milwaukee, I guess to potentially be reunited with Budenholzer, his former coach with the Hawks. But at the same time, he's got three years left in his deal that pay him about uh, almost forty seven million dollars. So he's not. Really in much of a position to talk being traded anywhere. So I guess he's kind of fed up with the whole situation with the Hawks, similar to what Budenholzer is doing as far as leaving the mm. team, not understanding that there was going to be a rebuilding, uh, you know, changed going through there. As far as Schroeder's value, it's not much. Uh, yeah, he's a, val- uh, he's a volume shooter, um, you know, and score. But at the same time, he's v- vastly inefficient. He has some potential there, but he just hasn't been able to figure it out. The more you and I have heard from people around the league, he's not particularly valued. He's not mm-hmm. seen as an efficient player and not somebody who can change your team and, and, and increase your win total or anything like that. He's also a divisive locker room presence there, so that's a problem. Uh, so you got a guy who you're paying a lot of money to shoot a lot, shoot inefficiently, and potentially cause problems in an already established locker room. I'm going to go with almost negative value there, so I can't making, see him forcing a trade anywhere. He's making $15.5 million in each of the next three seasons. Um, Lou Williams signed basically for $8 million with that extension. So he basically, right. this offseason, Lou Williams signed for $8 million. I would, you know, that given that Lou Williams is signed for $8 million and you're paying Schroeder, who, yeah, he's younger, um, you know, he's only 24 years old, maybe you buy into his upside, but at $15.5 million... That's a lot of money to bank on his upside. This isn't this isn't Kyrie Irving forcing his way out of Cleveland. This is this is this isn't even Eric Bledsoe forcing his way out of Phoenix. This is Dennis Schroeder and the the tanking Atlanta Hawks. I just I don't know who's gonna if he wants to go to Indiana. I'd rather ha- if I'm the Pacers. I'd rather have Darren Collison. Who led the league in three point shooting? Yeah, yeah. I'd have Darren Collison there uh, with on an expiring contract for ten million dollars left. Um, or if I'm Milwaukee, the other Schroeder target. I've already got. I already. I just traded for Eric Bledsoe, who again making less money next year, also on an expiring contract, gives me a little bit more flexibility. I don't see Schroeder getting his way in this situation. Um, you know, I'd be interested to see what what he does on a uh, on a better team. I think he probably projects best as you know your backup guard. Mm-hmm. You know, backup score first guard who can kind of make plays here and there. Sort of what he was when Jeff Teague was was in Atlanta. That was his best role and. Look, they banked on his upside. It was the only move that they could make, and I know I just don't know that it's panned out so far. Speaking of panning out, the NBA draft lottery is tonight, eight o'clock on ESPN. A lot of teams obviously involved. You got fourteen teams with with ping pong balls, but um, of those teams, David, who needs to win the lottery the most, in your opinion? 
To me, it's a team with the best odds of getting the first overall pick, and that's the Phoenix Suns. I mean, they need a, they've got a new coach. They need a marquee player, similar to what we were talking about with Budenholzer and, and his interest in Milwaukee. You need to be able to draft that player that you can help develop, that you can look to and say, this is the star of my team, whether it's Luka Doncic or, or DeAndre Ayton. It's somebody, and, and I think that's what Phoenix needs right now. Not only that, but they've gone without the playoffs, without tasting the playoffs for nine straight years, They've become largely irrelevant. Uh, you know, they're not the same joke that the Kings are around the league. They're not the New York Knicks that are still a, a marquee destination, even if they've played so badly over the last 20 years or so. This is Phoenix. I don't know that there's any va- a vast appeal there. I don't know that they have an identity. This is your opportunity to draft that player who helps create that dyna- that identity along with a new head coach in place. So to me, that's the team that really needs it the most. I, I see it. I mean, if you're Phoenix, you've got Devin Booker, who you're trying to build around. You've got Josh Jackson, who had flashes as a rookie. You've got some young pieces on there, but you do you need one more. It, it feels like they're one more piece away. If, if Phoenix is going to make this sort of 76ers turn, hmm. they need they need to hit. And they've got another they've got another pick at they've got Miami's pick at 16 this year too. So they've got a couple first rounders that can help turn things around there. Um, but I think the Cavaliers need to win the lottery the most. Look. They've got a good track record of winning the lottery. They've got Brooklyn's pick here, um, but they've won three of the last four times that they've been to the lottery. And I will probably throw my remote through the television if they win again. <laughs> but that, that so by no means am I rooting for this. However, they I think they have the most to lose out of any of these teams in the lottery. I mean, look, Cleveland again. They're there because of the Brooklyn pick that they that they got in that Kyrie Irving deal. But this is a team that's in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, a team that has LeBron James and is hoping to keep LeBron James, if they win the lottery tonight, that will absolutely factor into LeBron's decision this summer. I mean, you're going from maybe go- picking where there's they've got the um, the uh, eighth best odds right now. So if, if everything was chalk, they'd have the eighth pick. I don't know if that's enough to really sweeten the deal for LeBron, right? I don't but even think they, the first overall pick is enough to, to sweeten if, the deal. If they get the first overall pick and they're able to bring in a DeAndre Ayton or something like that who can make a major difference for that team, maybe it is. I don't know. Or if that, that first-round pick is going to be a whole lot – or the number one overall pick in a trade is far more valuable than the eighth pick in the draft. So for Cleveland, given that they have the most to lose, because they can go from Eastern Conference Finals to right back to using their own pick in the lottery, yeah. right, if LeBron decides to walk away. So for me, I think Cleveland needs to win it. Uh, as far as most interesting – I think it would be really interesting to see the Knicks win it. Ooh. You know, I just... Give David Fisdale a chance to build a, his, another player there to Chris Tasper-Prazingis? Yeah, maybe Porzingis and and, uh, and Luka Doncic together, hmm. bringing Europe over to, to, to the Big Apple. I think that would be really fun. I just... I don't know. I, I feel like it would be it would be interesting to see New York. I, New York doesn't deserve it by any means. Just a, a, a whole lot of incompetence is why they're there. Uh, but <laughs> it would be interesting to see it. If you if, are you rooting for anybody tonight? Am I rooting for anybody? No, I'm not. Actually, I have, okay. I have zero interest in that. I think uh, the draft is overrated. <laughs> you know how I feel. About I know. I know. All right. Well, let's talk about real basketball then, because you prefer that. Next up, we'll preview Game Two between the Cavs and Celtics. But first, don't forget that in addition to the daily Locked On NBA show, the Locked On Podcast Network also has a daily show for your favorite NBA team. So go ahead and subscribe to your team's channel on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. And then by subscribing to both Locked On NBA and your favorite team's show, you'll be covered with everything that you need to know. The Locked On Podcast Network, your team, every day. The Cavs will try to bounce back after an embarrassing Game 1 loss against the Celtics tonight. 
Cleveland just looked lazy in that first game, uh, David. LeBron wasn't aggressive. He wasn't making plays. He wasn't driving and kicking enough. And the Cavs' offense, it just seemed to shut down after that first motion or option, uh, and it would just devolve into some crappy isolation stuff. I don't know how a team can come out like that in Game 1 of a conference finals, but they've got to come out with more energy and a better plan of attack in Game 2 tonight. Yeah, I've, I've heard some people theorize that Tristan Thompson might be the solution for the Cavs to come in there and provide some of that uh, protection there, versatility on defense, and a little bit more hustle and energy than uh, whatever Cleveland was able to offer in Game 1. I feel like we're looking too much at Cleveland as the reason why they had such a bad performance and not giving enough credit to Boston and the hell of a job they did in Game 1. So, um, you know, I think the Celtics... You know, they've been undefeated in the playoffs at home this year. This year. Uh, I think they've got another game, too, at home, obviously. I don't know that they are going to let that slip away from them. You know, they've been so confident and so good at home. Um, I feel like they'll probably be able to continue whatever they were, were able to do in Game 1. And, and as far as Cleveland is concerned, I know we're expecting a historic-type performance from LeBron. Um but I don't know. Maybe he's already checked out of the equation there. And I think maybe he's he was using game one as a as a opportunity to see what his teammates could and were able to offer in, in a clutch situation like that. And unfortunately, they did not come through. So that just gives him an additional reason to go ahead and pack his bags and look elsewhere. We're in a situation right now where everybody's basically picked against the Celtics right. in the first two rounds. And they got through anyway. So you say, well, I don't want to bet against the Celtics now. But on the other side, you got LeBron James, who on the podium after the game basically said he's not worried. And you, we could say that as LeBron just maybe trying to simmer down the, the nonsense here. But at the same time, and it, it, he's got a history of not really being bothered by Game 1. He's lost several Game 1s in the conference finals. It's never, and, and as we know, for the last eight years, it hasn't been an issue. So um, we've got a situation where you don't really want to bet against either, either side. I still think the Cavaliers have a lot more to give than, I think that, they left more on the table than what Boston did in Game One, and obviously that that that's true because Boston won the game. Right. Um, Was that Boston's they, highest ceiling, though? Did we I, see? I feel yeah, I feel like we we saw closer to their ceiling than we saw from the Cavaliers. That's fair. And I, I go back to just the offense was so bad. It was just it was it was just class. It was it was it was regular season Cavaliers where where they would run one pick and roll. Boston would trap it, and then they would just stop. Everybody would stop moving, and we'd end up having a George Hill isolation. It was late January. It was late January Cavaliers offense right before the trade deadline. And it certainly was not that that worrying offense that we saw in that Toronto series where we were getting a lot of that Kevin Love, Kyle Korver two-man game. And credit Boston. They did a good job of shutting that stuff down. Horford in particular, yeah. And Horford is tremendous. You're right. And and Toronto obviously didn't have the inside presence that, that Boston does. However... I just feel like they could come out with a better game plan. LeBron can come out a little bit more aggressive and, again, go back to driving and kicking, getting his teammates involved, and really just becoming the motor of that offense again, which I think was a little passive in Game 1. Maybe he, uh, using his words, sort of just feeling the Celtics out a little bit, what their strategy was. I'm not I'm not that worried about the Cavs. I still have the Cavaliers winning this series. Um, and I think they take Game 2 tonight. Yeah, that's fair. I'm, I'm curious to see how it all plays out. Because if they do, How about this? If they don't win Game 2... Are the Cavs done? I can't. I can't say that they'd ever be done. I mean, this is a team that came one, came back three one in the in the con, in the in the NBA Finals to Golden State. Right. I just, I, I will never say that they're done. But if they lose Game Two, oh boy! I, I thank goodness sports gambling is 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 legal now because I'll put I'll put a lot of money on the the Celtics. Just <laughs> kidding, I won't. 
Uh, <laughs> we're not allowed to do that, but that's fine. All right. Uh, you have a pick. You have a pick for tonight, or you want to avoid that? Because uh, you stealthily I, sidestepped it before. No, no. I, I'm going to go with Cleveland to, to okay. win game two. All right. Well, we'll end with that. Uh, that's all we have for today. You could subscribe to Locked On NBA on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. We'll be back next Tuesday. You can find us on Locked On Heat. In the meantime, John Krauss and Jake Madison got you on Locked On NBA tomorrow. Thank you for listening, and thanks for joining me, David. You got it, Wes.